Well, if you have your Bibles or electronic, dev electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn uh, to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And so we've been journeying together through the book of Acts. In fact, it is the first four chapters of the book of Acts. And we've been looking at the title of this series is The First Church. And so we've been looking at first church principles. And then we've taken these first church principles. We've kind of returned to our roots and taken the first church principles. And then we've been applying them not only to our lives personally, but we've been applying them uh, to, 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 our, to our church. And so th this morning I'm going to talk to you about, in fact, is the title of this message is, is The Praying Church. And so let me tell you something. Every church prays. But not every church is a praying church. There's a difference in that. I, I could make it personal. Every Christian, right, prays, but not every Christian is a praying Christian. In other words, there's a difference in that. A, a, a praying Christian uh, just is a type of person to where all of a sudden they understand that God's sovereign and God's in control, and they understand how much they need him, and as a result of that, they have, they have a life of, of prayer. And so I don't know if you know this about Fellowship the Rockies, but, but our church was, was birthed by prayer. Uh, in 1994, when we began praying about coming to, to, to Colorado and leaving Houston and coming here and planting this church, and, and then into 95, when we decided that we would do it and God's in it, uh, we, we ordered and bought uh, a Pueblo phone book uh, so that we could pray through it. And in case you don't know what a phone book is, it was like you're from the younger generation, um, there was a time when a book once a year would magically appear on our front door. And in that book, it had everybody's name and phone number in the entire Pueblo area. It was amazing. You actually could look up someone's name and get their phone number. And so, uh, and so we ordered this phone book. Uh, we broke the, the spine off of it. We separated out of the pages. We identified churches all across the U.S. that were a, a praying church. They had prayer rooms, and they, they believed in prayer and all of those other things. We sent that book out, and as a result of it, we had them pray individually for everybody in Pueblo County. To where when we came in 1995 to plant this church, there was testimony after testimony after testimony of people saying, we don't know what drew us to this church. We don't even know why we're here. And two times in our history, we, we, we've done that. The, the, the other times we did that, we did that individually. We took pages of the phone book, and we prayed through that. And we didn't make it about Fellowship of the Rockies. We made it about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and so we would pray that if someone wasn't a Bible-believing Christian, uh, that God would lead them to a church, and they would meet him. Uh, when we came to a business, we actually prayed that God would bless that business. Uh, and so we prayed. And so this church was birthed by this issue of prayer. So today I want to talk to you about just the topic of the praying church. And I'm praying that God not only stretches me in this area, but he stretches our church to where our church understands the value and the importance of community, the value and the importance of prayer. Parker Palmer is, is an author, and he, he wrote a book on, on wholeness. And in the book, he, he describes this story that in Canada and in the, in the Great Plains, in fact, is meteorologists still recommend this today, uh, for, for farms and ranches out in the rural areas, of whether it's Canada or whether it's the Great Plains, that the blizzards, when the blizzards hit in their areas, the blizzards can be so intense, they can be so fierce, that, that they, they recommend that the, that the, the farmers um, and the ranchers take and tie a rope from, from the farmhouse, from the back porch of the farmhouse, and, and take that rope all the way to the barn and, have, and then tie it off at the barn. 
And the reason is this, is because so many farmers that, that during a blizzard where the blizzard was so intense they couldn't see their hand in front of their, their face, they would literally sometimes freeze to death. They'd get disoriented even between the house and the barn. They would wander in circles and, and they'd finally freeze to death. They'd get lost and they'd wander off because they, they didn't have anything that could like guide them. And so as a result of that, they'd say, you know what, if you'll just put a rope and you'll tie the rope from, to the, from, from the farm uh, house to the barn and that, that will guide you, then you can, as long as you hold on to that rope, it doesn't matter how fierce the, the blizzard is or the storm is, you will be able to make your way back home safely, right? And so as a result, they still recommend that today. And so when I, when I look at these verses and I realize that, you know what, this early church when the blizzards of life hit them, they had these ropes that they could hang on to. They had these ropes that they could hang on to because you know what a blizzard is, right? A blizzard is when life gets confusing to you, when life comes and that storm of life comes, whether it's a relational issue, whether it's a medical issue, whether it's something related to a job or the economy or whatever, and you enter into a blizzard of life, and it's hard to navigate yourself through, the, through, through, through life. It's hard to make a decision. It's hard to determine which way to go or where you're going. That is a blizzard of life. And when, when we have those blizzards, we as believers, we need some ropes that we can hang on to. See, this, this early church, they understood this. They understood what a, what a church is. In fact, is Acts chapter 4, verse 23. I'm going to read it here in a second. This literally is the formation of the church. This is when the church finally forms. <clears throat> so here's, here's what the scripture says. And I'll give you a few things and we'll take communion together. When they, when they were released, so speaking of Peter and John, if you were here with us last week, you know this, but let me catch us up. Peter and John had healed a, a, a lame man um, that had been lame since birth. Uh, the religious people got upset because they spoke the name of Jesus and some of these other things. And as a result of that, they took them before the, the Sanhedrin, which is like the religious supreme court of their day. Uh, they, 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 they talk with them, and then they fuss at them, they persecute them, and they tell them that you can no longer talk about the name of Jesus ever again. And so when Peter and John are released from them, here's, here's what they naturally do. They went to their friends. That's the greatest description I, can, I know of of the local church. They went to where their friends were. You know where their friends were? In the local church. You know why? Because they did life together. They had relationships with one another. They knew each other. They would prayed for one another. They would encouraged one another. They supported one another. In other words, that was some of the ropes of their life. When the blizzard hit in their life, they got that. They would understood that. And so, so they went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, so all of a sudden, it's like a spontaneous prayer. They just began to pray. And they, and they don't pray like we do, right? Watch this. Here's their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the, prof, and, and the, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they understood God's in control. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your, your hand to heal, your signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak, speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and one soul. In other words, they had deep relationships. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as, as were owners of lands or houses sold them and, bought, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. In other words, I want to give you this morning, just in the time that we have before we take communion, four convictions that the early church had, or maybe more importantly, four ropes that they were able to hang on to, four ropes that would guide them back home, four ropes that would give them security, even in the midst of a blizzard, even in the midst of a difficult time in their life. Here's the first conviction, or here's the first rope. They made a declaration, I need the body of Christ. In other words, they understood that, you know what, when the blizzards of life hit, whether it's, whether it's crisis or whether it's celebration, guess what? I need the body of Christ. I need relationships. I need Christian relationships that can speak into my life, that can encourage me, that can support me in the crisis of life. I need people that will be willing to step into my life and pray for me. But you know what? In the celebrations of life, then guess what? It is my turn to pray for others. It is my turn to minister to others. It is my turn because guess what? We're in this together. We're in this, we're in this thing called life together. Look at this, verse 23. And when they were released, they just naturally went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. In other words, they, they like ran to their deepest relationships. They ran to their, their own people and they told them everything that had happened. It, it, the scripture says that they reported what the chief priest says and the elders had, had said to him. And so they, they ran back to, to their relationships and their friends uh, whether, <coughs> where they would be loved and supported and encouraged and prayed for. I mean, when, when you see this in, 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 in the early church, you would realize that, 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 that they formed deep, deep relationships. Verse 23, they went to their friends. And then all of a sudden you see later that in, and when they heard. Now listen, in their relationship, they had three things, three identities that, that helped them to be deep friends. This not only has application, listen, this not only has application in the local church, this has deep application in relationships, whether it's in a marriage, uh, whether it's in a work relationships, whether it's in friends, whether it's in your church, whether it's in a, in a life group, whether it's in, in people that you meet with, that threes, these three identities for deep friends, deep relationships, these things have to be in place. The first one is this. You just see this identifier. It says that they were, they were listening. In other words, when, when Peter and John, when they go back to this church and they, they report all that had been said, you realize that th this group of believers, they were, they were listeners. Listen, this is, really, this is really hard to do, right? It's really hard to just, just listen to someone without interrupting or without jumping to conclusions and all of those other things. But see, this early church, they weren't like that. They understood this issue of listening. Verse 23, it says they had reported all that, that had been done to him. And then verse 24, it says, and when the church heard, they responded. Peter Scazzaro is a, is a pastor in New Life Church in Queens, New York, and him and his wife, Jerry, have done a lot of work in this area, and they would call this incarnational listening. 
to where there's, there, there, there's something about as you and I, as we, as like we mature in our faith or we, we, we become emotionally mature, that we're able to practice what is incarnational listening. Let me, let me just help you understand that. In, in, unhe- in unhealthy relationships, uh, pastors will tell you, the scripture tells you, counselors will tell you, but in unhealthy relationships, man, we want people and we expect people to think the way we think, to act the way we act, to feel the way we feel, to value the things we value. And when, we, and when they don't, we judge them. In other words, in unhealthy relationships, if your partner doesn't feel the way you feel about an issue, doesn't think the way you think about an issue, doesn't act the way you, act, you, you think they should act about an issue, all of a sudden it, it comes in like a, a domineering relationship to where now one person is over the other person, and that person in an unhealthy relationship is like, I'll tell you how you, do, you should think. i tell you how you should feel. I'll tell you how you should act. And if you don't think the way I think, and if you don't feel the way I feel, and if you don't respond the way I feel, and if you don't behave the way I b- behave, then you know what? There is something wrong with you, and there is not anything wrong with me. So in unhealthy relationships, see, you don't see this in, in this early church. What you see is you see a healthy relationship. They, they had this healthy relationship. See, in, in healthy relationships, we understood that, guess what? Everybody, we understand that everybody is individuals. And as a result of that, we respect other people. And the way that we respect other people is we allow other people to have their own thoughts, to have their own feelings, to, to have their own, 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 own values, to have their own opinions. And it doesn't mean we agree with all of them. But we respect them enough to where, you know what, you, you can think differently than I do, and that's okay. And you can act differently, you can value different things, and you like, and that, see, in healthy relationships, we allow God to speak to other people just as he speaks to us. And we value the relationships, and so, so all of a sudden, the fact is, David Asberger, uh, Augsberger says this, he was, he was a counselor, and he says, being heard is so close to being loved. That for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Henry Nowen, he writes this about this issue of being heard. From experience, you know that those who care for you become present to you. When they listen, they listen to you. When they speak, you know they, they speak to you. Their presence is a healing presence because they accept you on your terms. And they encourage you to take your own life seriously. Isn't it true there's a desire that every one of us has to be heard and to be understood to be heard to be understood and to be valued in other words in other words to do that uh, we we can't read somebody else's mind you ever done that you ever had someone do that to you to where you think you can read their mind i know what you're thinking i know what you're feeling uh when you looked at me like that this is what you were thinking is isn't that offensive when someone does that to you I mean, isn't it kind of threatening when someone believes that you know what i listen sometimes i don't even i can't even read my own mind right There's sometimes we can't even figure out what we're feeling. And to have someone step into your life and kind of cut you off and interrupt you, because if you're truly going to hear someone, if you're truly going to understand someone, that means you and I cannot jump to conclusion. That means you and I have to let somebody finish. That means we have to keep ourselves from trying to read somebody's mind. It it just frustrates me. Fact is, it frustrates me when pastors do this. Um, When Karen and I were on a sabbatical, uh, over the summer, we, we visited a friend of mine's church in Colorado Springs, and, and he wasn't preaching that weekend. He had a guest preacher in from, from out of town, Arizona, is where the guy was from. And so, so he was preaching, 
And from time to time, he would stop, and he would make a statement. Then he'd stop and say, and I know what you're thinking. And I'm like, really? There's thousands of us in this room, and you literally think you know what everybody's thinking? Fact is, you know what I'm thinking? I am thinking that I am hoping that Karen wants to go to the skirted heifer for a burger after church. (laughs) That is on my mind right now. I mean, and you know what? If she would just go ahead and say yes, then I'd be able to focus on the servant. Because I'm telling you what, the skirted heifer is an amazing place in Colorado Springs for a cheeseburger. And so I'm, that's what I, you're right. You know, you, you drift, right? And so sometimes, you don't, see, this is why James says, fact is the book of James, James says that if you want to practice incarnational listening, then you be slow to listen or slow to speak and quick to listen. Man, whenever, whenever we think we can just read somebody's mind, and I know what you're about ready to say, I know what you're thinking, I know what you're feeling, and if you don't, I'll tell you what you're thinking. That's an unhealthy relationship, but jump into the place to where we could just we can practice this issue that we value someone so much that we will, we will actually listen to them and hear what is underneath the surface before we make judgments. And I, I struggle at this. I mean, Karen and I, we're walking through, we, we formed a life group together, and so right now it's just, just her and I, and, and so we're watching a video sitter, series, uh, uh, Peter Scazzaro's stuff, uh, un, uh, Emotional Healthy Relationships and Emotional Healthy Spirituality, and so we're walking through Emotional Healthy Relationships right now, and so there's a chapter on this, like, like learning to listen, and, and, and so there's a test that you can take, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to nail this test because after all, I'm a pastor and I'm pre- paid to listen. I have been trained in, in relationships, and so I am like going to nail this test. And so there's like 10 questions to answer, uh, and, and so if you, a- if you check or if you answer uh, affirm, you know, a certain number of these questions, and it tells you what kind of listener you are. And so you have to answer four that that's me to become a bad listener, and then it moves up from there, right? I took the test, and you know what I was? I was a three. I didn't even qualify as a, I didn't even qualify as a bad listener. And I'm like, <laughs> and Karen was not shocked by this information. And so, and I'm like, really? I mean, it's, it's a stretch, right? For that, that's why it takes emotional maturity. That's why it takes spiritual maturity. Karen's really good at this. And so, like the other night, uh, we were having a conversation, and, and so Karen says, hey, I'm puzzled about something. It seems like you now take the trash out, and you don't take the trash out all the way to the, the can. Uh, you, like, leave the trash, can, uh, the trash in the trash bag in the garage. And so I'm puzzled by that. And I go, well, that just makes two of us because you're the one that started this. And she's like, Really? I said, yeah, you started this. I don't, I don't even know why we're having this discussion. I mean, some mornings when I was going to work, I would open up the garage door to go to my truck. I'd open up the garage door, and there right in front of me was a trash bag that you had just taken out of the kitchen, and you had laid there. One, that's a trip hazard, and I mean, I could have hurt myself. And so I'm thinking, you know what? If you're good with the trash being in the garage, I'm good with the trash being in the garage. I'll just toss them out there. I'll save the steps. And then once a week, I go to the cat. She's like, really? I laid that trash there hoping that in, instead of stepping over it, as you step over it, you would grab it and you would take it to the trash can. I'm like, really? Ladies, can I tell you this? You got to be really clear with us. 
And so there's something, there's something about this issue of incarnational. Listen, 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 this early church, the body of Christ, they listened. They didn't interrupt Peter and John. They didn't, they didn't jump to conclusions. They didn't make any judgments. They heard, they listened, and then they responded. So the question is, who are you listening to? And who around you are you listening to, truly listening to, hearing what's under the surface, a hurt, a pain, a struggle, a fear, a value, something to where you listen to them all the way through without, without reading their mind and making snap judgments and telling them some things to where you truly listen. See, the body of Christ, the early church, they got that. The second thing, they were not only listening, but they were identifying. They identified with Peter and John. And here's the crazy deal. Peter and John were the ones that were persecuted. Peter and John were the ones that were taken to the Sanhedrin and says, never speak of the name of Jesus again. They come back to this, this small group of people. They come back to this group. And, and so they're, they're telling them what had happened. And the body of Christ, you know what they do? They identify with them. In other words, if you hurt, we hurt. If you weep, we weep. If, if you rejoice, we rejoice. If you celebrate, we... To hurt one of us is like hurting all of us. That's the picture of a family. That's the picture of a church. I mean, we see that over and over in Scripture about this picture to where they identified with one another so tightly that when one went through a struggle, they all went through a struggle. That's why, that's why Paul says in Galatians that, that a church, we should bear one another's burdens as if they were our own. We should pray for one another. We should love one another. We should encourage one another. We should support one another. We should share with all, all those one another's of, of Scripture. And all of a sudden, Peter and John come back, and, and this body, they don't judge Peter and John about, well, why didn't you do it like this? Or maybe you should have done it like this, or it's your fault, it's your fault, you were drug up there. They had, and they identified with one another. Here a while back, uh, a guy in our church had, had, um, had gone through a blizzard. And uh, he entered into a blizzard, and so we, uh, we met for lunch. And I'm sitting across the table from him, and, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm just listening. And, I mean, I listened to him all the way through the salad, all the way through the pizza. I mean, I, I just, I, I listened to him, and I, I was in shock. I mean, it was one of those blizzards that I couldn't imagine me even walking through. I, I, I was having trouble comprehending. And so at the end, I just, I just listened. And at the end, I just looked at him, and I called his name. And I said, hey, listen, I, I just got to tell you, I can't even comprehend what you're going through. And I don't even want to pretend how I would respond if, you're in, if I was in that situation. And I, I, don't even know how you're, I don't even know how you're surviving. I don't even know how you're still standing. And so I'm not going to try to tell you that I, I know what you should do, but he, here's what I'm going to do. Man, I hurt for you, and I'm going to pray for you, and I did. I prayed for him in that restaurant. And then I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. After he'd come out of the blizzard, we, we, we had a conversation here a while back. And he said, he said, you know, Charlie, um, he said that was probably the most worthwhile uh, uh, recommendation or advice that I'd, I'd been given. Just to know that someone identified with me and someone said I was going to walk with, with you. And I said, really? Because I felt like a total failure at that lunch. I thought I should have had three, you know, three points in a prayer uh, you know, three suggestions or three things that you need to do to get out of this blizzard. And yet I just said I would, I would walk. See, there's, there's something about that. There's something about us that we want to we hear. 
We want to be heard, and we want to be understood, and we want to value. But here's another identity in, in these relationships. The, the last one is this, is just, just praying. I mean, they, they, just, they just, they immediately prayed. See, they, they were praying people. They weren't people who prayed. They were praying people. They didn't ask for permission. Hey, Peter and John, you mind if we pray for you? All of a sudden, they, they, they heard what was said, and then they break out into like this, this spontaneous prayer. They didn't care where they were. They didn't care the surroundings. They did not care about any of that. You know what they cared about? They cared about their friends, and they cared about praying for them. And so they came, and they, and they just they began praying for them. And so Billy Graham is the man that, that says this. He said the most common lie that, that Christians, Christians tell is when we say we'll pray for you because so many times we'll tell an individual I'll pray for you and we forget, right? Unless we make a note or we do something like that. And so Billy Graham said the reason that I changed that model is this. Whenever someone told me something, I'd pray for them right there because I didn't want to be caught lying and I didn't want to tell them I'd do something that I didn't do. And as a result of that, and he says, and I found that was more powerful when all of a sudden they got to hear me pray for them and pray over them I realize that's, that's a true relationship. So many times, and listen, it is, only, it is only a praying Christian that feels comfortable doing that. If you're a Christian who prays, then you're the type to say, you know what, I'll pray for you. You know, too bad you're walking through that, I'll pray for you. A praying Christian, they'll pray over. See, that's why it's so important for me about prayer response in our church. We could, in a, in a Connect card, let you write out your prayer, you know, your prayer re- uh, re- request, and then, then a group of mystery people you know, will, will pray for you during the week. But I think it's more powerful when you, when you acknowledge that this is where I need prayer, and you get to hear someone pray for you, right? I said, I'll never forget this. So I was playing golf. It was three years ago. I was playing golf with an elder in our church. We're on the 13th tee box. Uh, I was waiting results from Brittany about the, the results of her biopsy on her, on her brain tumor, our oldest daughter. And so I knew it was going to come in sometime, so an elder said, hey, let's go play golf. And, and, um, and so I'm on the 13th tee box. Uh, we had both hit, 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 our, hit our drive, and, and I'm walking, and, and I walk. I don't like to ride. I walk. And so we were walking off the tee box. I get a text from Brittany. It wasn't good news. And so I looked at it, and he goes, what's, what's the news? I, could, I couldn't even get the words out. All I could do is just hand him my cell phone. Here, you, you got to read it for yourself. And so he read it, and I says, I, I got to get to Springs. I got to get to Springs now. I, I, I just got to go. And so I was, I was probably in shock, and I know the golf course well. I could not even find the parking lot. I'm just wandering aimlessly around the golf course, and he says, hey, follow me. Just follow me. I'll, I'll get you to your car. And so I, I got to my car and threw my, my stuff in the car. And then all of a sudden, he just, he just grabbed me. And I mean, there's golfers around, and it's a public place, and cars going by, golfers walking by. And all of a sudden, he puts his arm around me and cinches me up close, and he just begins praying over me. I will never forget that. That's a person who prays. That's a, that's a praying person. See, this, this early church... This early church, they, they got that. This early church, they, man, they understood that. And so the, the, the first rope that they would hang on to is this issue of I need the body of Christ. But the second rope that they would hang on to is that God's in control. See, you'll become a praying person when you understand that ultimately God's in control. I may be walking through a blizzard. I may be walking through a difficult time. Uh, but... But God ultimately is in control of everything that I, that I, that I go through in, in, in life. 
And so when this, when this church prayed, they prayed, they understood it wasn't, it wasn't from a position of fear, it was a position of faith. Yeah, they're in difficult circumstances, but all of a sudden when they start praying, I mean, you know that they understand that God is, in sovereign, it is, God is sovereign, God is in control, that he must have been, he, he's aware of this blizzard, he's aware of this situation that I'm walking through. And again, here's their prayer. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to, together to God and said, and, and we don't have time this morning. I could take you through all the Old Testament scripture that, that they're quoting. The most powerful prayers that you and I will pray is when we pray God's word back to him. We just take his word, his scripture, and begin praying it back to him. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. In other words, these people aren't against us. Lord, they're against you because we're ambassadors of you. We represent you. So they understood this for truly in the city. They were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Verse 28, all of a sudden they acknowledge that God is in control. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, they had this solid conviction that even though I'm in a crisis, even though I'm in a difficult situation, that God, you're still in control. You're above the blizzard. You're above the storms of my life. You're above the chaos. You're above the pain. You're above the struggles. God, I'm going I'm, I'm to approach you not from a position of, of fear, but a position of faith. In other words, Lord, we're in a terrible situation. And we, we need you because you're in, listen, you're in control. See, so many times when we pray, we make us the center of the prayer. Lord, help us. Help us to get smarter. Help us all. You know what they prayed? God, you're the one in control. You're the only one that can change this. God, you're sovereign and you're totally and you're completely in control. The way they prayed was totally different. A lot of times when, 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 when I pray, it's like, Lord, why, right? We start asking the why questions, but not with these guys. They, 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 under, they understood what God was, was doing in their life. Verse 29, here's what it says. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You know what they were praying? They weren't praying, Lord, stop the blizzard. Lord, get us out of this blizzard. God, you know, why are you allowing this happen? You know what they prayed? God, through this crisis, through this blizzard, may we, may we speak your word even more boldly. May we be a testimony of, of, of your faith. And yes, this is terrible. And yes, this is painful. And yes, this is difficult. But Lord, ultimately, you're in control. And just help us. Help us to speak your name with boldness. Listen, prayer, intimacy with God, always results in, in boldness. In other words, these guys, they just they stopped and they, they, they surrendered. And, and, and they're not asking, Lord, why are you letting this happen? Listen, let me tell you something. We, we all have the temptation of that, right? I mean, we all do. In, in 1994, we were, we, uh, we were praying about coming to Pueblo. 1995, we decided to come liquidate everything, begin moving to Pueblo. We moved to Pueblo. The housing market in Houston, Texas it was horrible at the time. You couldn't sell a house. And so we couldn't sell our house. I was totally frustrated with that. And so, uh, so we had to find a renter. Uh, just for the, for, for, we'll call him Renter Mike. 
So renter Mike rented our home back in Texas. We were renting a home here, and, and so now we're landlords with a house a 1,000 miles away, and so that makes it really, really difficult. And so, Lord, we're just trusting you, you know, to take care of the house, take, take care of renter Mike. And, and so every month, renter Mike is sending us his, his rent payment like clockwork. But what we didn't know was renter Mike was using one of our daughter's bedrooms as a kennel uh, for his three pit bulls. And they literally ate the entire room. They, they, they ate the door, they ate the carpet, they ate the molding, they ate the sheetrock, they, 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 they ate, I mean, they literally did thousands of dollars worth of damage. So renter Mike moves out, and Karen and I go, you know, back to Houston to get the house ready, so we'll put the house on the market, we'll try to sell it. We get down there, we discover this, and I'm like, I'm like, really? Really? We get estimates, thousands of dollars of damage. Uh, I let renter Mike know, renter Mike refused to pay. And um, I was just so frustrated with that. You know, and, and you do the thing, really, Lord? I mean, we've liquidated everything. We've moved to Pueblo, Colorado. We're serving you. You know, I thought the house would have sold quickly. I thought you would have taken care of this. You know, those types of prayers that, that doesn't do any of us any good, right? And so a year and a half later, we're, we're trying to scrape together enough money to buy the house that we currently live in for a down payment and and we're trying to scrape all this money together. And it's adding to the frustration that if Renner Mike would have just paid us and all of those other things. And then, then all of a sudden, one morning, I get a call. It's Renner Mike. And Renner Mike goes, hey, Charlie, it's Renter Mike. I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, <laughs> I have thought of you every day of my life for the last year. You know, I, buddy, I have not. And I've even prayed for you. <laughs> and he goes, well, I... I just feel horrible. I feel horrible what I did to you. I know you guys' situation. And he says, I, I went through a horrible divorce. And then he threw his wife, ex-wife under the bus. It was all her fault, of course. And so, uh, and so he, said, he said, so I just want to verify your address, and I'll send you a cashier's check for the full amount of the damages that I did. And it was that amount of money that allowed us to buy the house, put the down payment down for the house, and God knew exactly the right time that we would need that. And it helped me to understand that God's in control. Amen. When you understand, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, this, this early church, what caused them to be praying people, I mean, I mean, this issue is just who they are. When you understand that ultimately God's in control, that God's in, God, God, is, God is in control of that blizzard that you're walking through, that situation, that crisis, it changes the way we pray. When we understand that, guess what? This hasn't caught God by surprise. God knew this was going to happen. God, and, and see, the, the early disciples, they said, Lord, this is what you predestined. I mean, this is what you predestined. And so would you help us to speak your name even more boldly? That even through a blizzard, even through a crisis, as we hold on to those ropes, right? That we, we honor you. The, the last thing is this, is that, that God can use me. The last rope or the last conviction that they had is that, is it, is it, is it God, God can use me. And so verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all but, uh, boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, you know what they were expecting? See, this, this is when you know you pray from, from, from faith in a position of faith. They were expecting miracles and signs and wonders in the midst of the blizzard. 
in the midst of the crisis. God, you're totally in control. And guess what? We are going to pray from a statement of faith, and we're going to claim your word. You're going, we're going to take your word, and we're going to apply it to our life, and we're going to stand on your word, and we're going to continue to walk. Just help us. Help us to come to the place that we even live more boldly for you now than we did before the crisis, than we did before the, the, the blizzard of our life. And then you find in here that they're not, they're not praying, God, if you can use me or, or can you use me. You know what they're praying? God, use me. God, in the midst of this circumstance, in the midst of this situation, God, would you, would you use me? Would you use me to encourage people that are going through this, the same thing that I am? Would you use me to speak your name more boldly? Would you use me at the office or in my home when people know the crisis, the, the storm that I am, I am in, that I can help them understand the faith that I have, the trust that I have in you, that I, I, I can trust you? You see, this group of people, they desperately wanted God to use them, and they understood that even in the midst of crisis, there's signs and wonders and miracles. My crisis of moving to Pueblo, Colorado, and, and the issue with, 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 with Renter Mike, to me, that was a miracle that he paid me. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. It helped me to understand that even in the midst, even in the midst of a crisis, God is still in control. Next week, we're going to carry this thought out, and the, the fourth principle in, in your notes, we're not going to unpack it this morning, is, is um, something about the church. I just forgot. Come. The church needs me. Thank you there in the back. You're my hero. The church, yes, that's what we'll talk about next week. You'd think after four times I'd have it down, but no. When you're ADD, skirted heifer, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to need a cheeseburger. And so the four ropes that they hang on, held on to is I need the body of Christ, and God is in control, and God can use me. One of the reasons that we practice communion is, is a community of believers. It reminds us of the ropes that we hang on to. We're not only connected to one another, but we're connected to him. We're not only connected to one another, we're connected to the cross, what he's done for us. Our servers are going to begin passing out the bread and the, and the juice, and, and we're going to participate in communion together.